You know, this week, I had a guy out to fix my gas cooker. So I have a range cooker, and for 18 months, I've only had half the hob working. For 18 months, I have had two gas rings that do not work. And when they stopped working, it was a frustration to me. They just wouldn't light, wouldn't start up. And it was a frustration because there are five of us in our house on a good day. I always have a table full, a house full, lots of people to feed. So I had to then change the way I was cooking and adapt to just using half the cooker. And it was just one of those jobs that we just let go and let go. And only the other day, Luke was going through some paperwork. He found a contact for the cooker guy. So we phoned him up and he came out. He looked at my stove. He smiled to himself, but I saw him. And uh, he changed two of the ceramic plates around. And then he just lit the cooker. Two Christmas dinners I've done with half my stove working. Two Christmas dinners. Like, have you any idea? Like, 18 months with just half the stove working, and the frustrating thing was the answer was in front of me all the time. I just needed to move some stuff around. I just made it, needed to make a little adjustment. Do you know we walk around in life and we think that we've got a... Um, broken mindset. We think that there are things about us that is broken, that we are dysfunctional in certain areas, that we are lacking in certain areas. But the truth is, you just need to switch some things around in your thinking. If you just made that adjustment, just that little tweak, that little adjustment. But what we've done is we've learned to live life with half measures. We've learned to live life in the excuses of why I can't do and what I don't do, when really it's a simple instruction, a simple adjustment. And the Bible is full of solutions to that little adjustment that you need to make, because it says so much about the mind. I recently watched a TED Talk. Anybody like to watch TED Talks from time to time? And it was an American psychologist who was speaking. And he was actually speaking on emotion. And I found what he had to say really, really interesting. He said, we have all sorts of systems in place to take care of our physical well-being. So we teach our children the system of, you've got to clean your teeth twice a day. We train our children up to, to know that they need to have five fruit and five veg every single day. Drink lots of water, get lots of sleep. Take care of your physical well-being because if you do not, it can get sick. If you do not, it can have an adverse effect on the body. But we have no system in place to take care of the mind. We have no way of educating our children on how to take care of the mind. It is as though we have made a disconnect between the body and the mind. But the truth is, the mind is part of the body, and like the body, the mind can get sick. Like the body, the mind can get hurt. We know this because hurts go deep. Things that happen to us, thoughts and feelings that are stuck on repeat in your mind, and you go over and over and over, we replay them. We listen to the voice in our mind saying, I would have, I should have, I could have done it differently, but I didn't. And then we listen to 
to the voice in our emotion that speaks to us about regret. And we listen to the voice in our emotion that's shouting out shame. And we listen to the voice that's talking to us about bitterness and, uh, and unforgiveness and hurts all of the time. It's, re- it's on repeat, like a stuck record in your mind. You know, you just can't get over that situation. You just can't move past that thing. We think back to that moment when that thing happened to us. And when we think back, we then remember how we felt in that moment. And when we remember how we felt, the emotion of that incident rises up within us once again, and we live it out all over again. Because if we don't learn to heal in our mind, and if we don't learn to take control of our thoughts and our emotions, that same emotion will rear its head throughout your life in different scenarios. You'll go through that again, and you'll go through that again. So the question is, how do I keep my mind stable when emotions run high? Well, I want to set this talk up tonight by using a backdrop from a scripture in Habakkuk. This is God, this is God speaking to the guy called Habakkuk. Cool name for a baby, Dave Alex. Just saying. I love the name Habakkuk. If I had another son, he'd be Habakkuk. Habakkuk 2.2. The Lord answered me and said, write the vision and engrave it plainly on tablets so that the one so that who reads it will run. So that the one who reads it will run. I can't even read it plainly. The Lord answered me and said, write the vision and engrave it plainly on tablets so that the one who reads it will run. He's not talking about an iPad tablet. This is before pen and paper. He was talking about tablets of stone. Write the vision out, Habakkuk. Write that vision for your life out so that you know where you're going. In fact, God's really not bothered about what you're writing it on. What he's saying to him here is learn it, know it, memorize it. Memorize it, learn it, know it. Memorize it, learn it, know it. That plan for your life, that vision for your life, so you can see clearly where you are going. You can see clearly who you want to be and where you want to be as you can run through life with confidence. When you are in no doubt about who you are, you move with confidence. And maybe you're in here tonight and you're like, oh, I haven't got a vision for my life. I'm like, I don't know who I want to marry. I don't know what career I want. Or maybe you're over the age of 50 and you're like, oh, I think I've done all my dreaming. What possibly could there be any more for me out there? But, it, but dreaming and having a vision and a goal for your life, it's more than the next car and the holiday you're going on this year. It's talking about the vision for who you are because when you know who you are, it will take you into your destiny, your God-designed destiny. When you know who you are, you, if you don't know who you are, start with who God says you are. He says you're forgiven. He says you're redeemed. He says you're his child. He says you're forgiven. He says you are valued. You are loved. You are held in high esteem. You're the head. You're not the tail. If you know who he says you are, then you will not be easily led when somebody else says something different. When the guy wants to speak down to you, you're not going to crumble at his words because you're like, hey, actually, I know who I am. 
You hear Luke and I say from the platform quite often that Solomon, our youngest son, he has this, this saying, this quote on his bedroom wall, which we had put up there when, well, I actually painted it on the wall when he was about three. I am the son of the great king, mighty like a warrior. And uh, he went to high school last year, and just a few months ago, he experienced his first detention. Oh, yes, he did, because the teacher in the class told him he was a waste of space. And without thinking, he stood up and said, I, I am mighty like a warrior, brave as can be. And everywhere I go, my God is with me. He like, that kid, he knew who he was. He still couldn't understand why he got detention, but I was like, well, you know, but proud of him. He didn't have to think. He was just like, I'm not a waste of space. I'm a child of the king, mighty like a warrior. What do you think you're saying? And you know what I'm saying is, she said the words, but it didn't emotionally affect him because he didn't believe how many of us have been subject to negative words and it sends us plummeting down. That's because we're not sure of who we are. If you know who you are, girls, then you are not going to fall for the first guy who blows down your ear because you're going to be like, there's more to this relationship than flicking my hair and blowing in my ear. I need to know what your vision is. I need to know what your morals are, what your standards are. Is your life lining up with my life? Write them down. God was saying to Habakkuk, memorize them, learn them, know them, memorize them, learn them, and know them. Otherwise, your life will be formed and fashioned according to what happened to you, according to what they said about you, according to what they did to you. You will live your life confined to that experience, that negative spirit experience of yesterday will define your today. That is why we start our, our meetings with praise and worship. First of all, we're right placing God and we're giving glory to him. But second of all, we are reaffirming the vision for our lives. We've just sang this morning, open up my eyes to see you, my mind to know you, my heart longs after you because we're reaffirming our vision for our lives. You know, there's a story that you've created about you. There's a story that you've created about you and it is all revolves around the experiences in life that you have had. And you will tell your story when people ask about you. But the one thing you will never do is you will never speak up about yourself. You will never speak highly of yourself. Your story will always be biased down. Hi, what do you do? You'll tell them and you say, oh, I don't do it very well. You know I'm a shy person. I'm not great around people. You'll go into all of the negatives because what has happened to us in our past experience conditions the way that we think and the way that we perceive things. But there was another story that was written about your life before you were born and it was written by your father and creator of heaven and earth and he spoke over your life and he purposed you and fashioned you for something no one in this place is an accident. Your parents might not have known you were on the way, but he did. He called you into being and he called you by name. And he said, I need you on planet earth for such a time as this because I am commissioning you. You're not here just passing time and kicking tires till it's time to go. You're here for a purpose and God has something to say about you. 
We know, I dare I quote the scripture, Jeremiah 29, 11, because it always, you know, gets people going in this house. But Jeremiah 29, 11, he says, I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. I have plans for your life, plans of good and not for evil. So God had plans for your life before you were even born. But there is another scripture in Romans 12, and it says this. Therefore, each one of us must answer for himself and give a personal account for his own life before God. So when we leave this earth, the one thing that none of us can get out of is we're going to stand before God and have to give a personal account for the life that we lived, which tells me that we do not automatically live out the plans and the purposes that God has for us. But we have choices to make and situations to navigate along the way. And we are going to have to stand before God. And I was telling the 11 o'clock this morning how raising three boys, I became a Doctor Who fan. Oh, yeah. Like, oh, yeah. I can say, woo. Anyway. I look like that type of person I know, but particularly with Joash, who's my oldest son. Saturday night, we'd be in the living room and we'd have Doctor Who on. And I remember this episode where Doctor Who and Rose Tyler ended up in a parallel world. And it was a parallel universe, and it was a world that looked exactly the same as this world. It had the same landmarkings, and it had exactly the same people living on that world as in the parallel world, only they were living out very different lives. And I can remember watching that episode and thinking to myself, I don't ever want to stand before God and him to show me a parallel life. These were the plans that I had for you, Emma. And this is what you lived out. I want to finish my race well. I want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. I want to know that I gave it my best shot while I was upon the earth. And so we don't ever want to hear God saying, oh yeah, this is what it could have been, but this is what it was. Samson was a guy in the Bible who I think if ever God was going to show a parallel life to, it would have been Samson. He was um, called from before birth and set apart by God. But Samson was a man who was plagued in his mind, troubled in his mind, and easily led by his emotion. It's a story of a man who was that emotionally led, it led to his downfall. From within his mother's womb, God had set him apart and God had told his mother, no razor must come near his head. And for as long as his hair is uncut, I will empower him with supernatural strength more than any other mortal has ever had. Samson is going to have incredible strength upon his life. He was part of God's rescue plan for Israel. You probably know Samson best for his entanglement with Delilah. You probably know that story is one of fatal attraction. You know, the love affair that ended up with him getting his hair cut and losing his strength. And whilst all that is true, I want to have a look for a moment at the backdrop to Samson's life. There is a backstory to Samson's life as to why he ended up in the arms of Delilah in the first place. Because how many know there's always a backstory to someone's behavior? There's always a reason why that person is an angry person. There's a backstory. Something happened in their life. 
There's always a reason why that person has a chip on the shoulder and suffers with rejection because there's a backstory, something happened to them that they've never broken free from. And that's the way, that's the reason they are where they are today. And so with Samson, something happened to Samson that messed his head up. Something happened to Samson that he never got over. And it played on repeat in his mind for years and years and years, way before Delilah came on the scene. Let me read you some of this story from Judges 14, verse 19. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily, and he went down to Ashkelon, and he killed 30 of them, and took the gear, and gave changes of clothes to those who he had explained the riddle. And his anger burned, and he went up to his father's house, but Samson's wife was given to his companion, who had been his friend. Right. Samson is not a single man here where we pick the story up. Samson is a married man. He'd fallen in love with a Philistine girl. She had caught his eye. He pursued her. He dated her. And then he asked her father for her hand in marriage. And her father said yes. And they got married. Samson has a wife. But not long after the wedding, an argument broke out. Not long after the wedding, they had a tiff. And the Bible says that Samson went off to cool off. We don't know how long he was gone for, but he was gone for some time. And while he was gone, his wife was given away to his best mate. Okay, guys, think about it. Think about it. In chapter 15, it says this, But after a while in the time of wheat harvest, Samson went to visit his wife with a young goat as a gift of reconciliation. Okay. The goat ain't going to cut it, boys. If you're trying to make up for a row, if my husband came to me, I'd, I'd slap him around the face with that goat. <laughs> Try chocolate, perfume, anything. But Samson, for whatever reason, he just thought the goat would do it. So off he goes with his goat. With his goat, in full confidence, he said, I will go to my wife in her room. Of course. Why would a goat not get you into her room? But her father would not allow him to go in. And her father said, I really thought you utterly hated her. So I gave her to your companion, your friend. Is her younger sister not more beautiful than she? Please take her as your wife instead. Why you people fill your head with these tenders when this is in the Bible? I do not know. Jeremy Kyle could not untangle what is going on in Samson's life right now. Okay, he's devastated. Think about it, men. Put yourself in his shoes. The love of his life has been given away to his best mate. He's humiliated. He is furious with what is going on here. And consequently, this waged a war between him and the Philistines. The situation became the demise of Samson because he lived his life for the forthcoming years with a chip on his shoulder and always felt like he had something to prove. A man who was gifted by God with immense 
physical strength on the outside. The Bible recalls how Samson slayed thousands of Philistines with just the jawbone of a donkey. It says that once when a lion was coming towards him, he ripped the lion open with his bare hands. Samson could push down walls, push apart pillars, push through gateways and doorways. Immense, incredible, supernatural, physical strength on the outside. But because of what had happened to him, He had stronghold on the inside that he just could not get over. A stronghold that he just could not uh, defeat. Negative thoughts on the inside. Thoughts would flood his head. You had a wife, but you lost her. You had a woman. She's been given to someone else. Thoughts, and out of this broken and emotional mindset, we now see a weakness in Samson that is exposed. And this weakness is all around women. He feels like he's got something to prove because he was humiliated in that area. And the Bible talks about how he's seen, being seen seeing this woman and that woman. It talks about him going to visit prostitutes, prostitute after prostitute. Here we see Samson taking what he wants from women with absolutely no commitment at all. There's no mention of love. There's no mention of commitment because in his broken, messed up mind, he was probably saying to himself, don't go there again. Don't be committed. Don't get involved because it will happen all over again. I'm sure each and every one of us in here could tell of a story that has negatively impacted our lives. That thing that happened to you that shouldn't have happened to you, but it did. And you can't reverse it, you can't erase it, and you just can't get it out of your mind. And that negative memory is still out working in your life all these years later. It's fashioned the way that you think. Perhaps not consciously so. Perhaps you're not aware that you are operating out of a negative mindset of something that happened years ago, but you know the way you are, the attitude that you have, the way you speak to other people, the way you process things. It is all coming from something that you have been emotionally bound to in your past and your mind has never healed. The guy who cheated on you, or the wife who walked out on you, or the father you never knew, it it stays in your mind and emotionally we don't know how to get past that place in life. What, What about the person who abused you? when you were vulnerable as a child, or maybe you were bullied in the workplace, or maybe the teacher who said who you had a bad experience with and you were mistreated by a teacher at school, and what she spoke over you or what he said to you has stayed with you. It knocked your confidence at the age of seven and you've carried that right through life. What about the one who you thought was your friend, but they let you down? What about the situation that you got into at the age of 14 and it cost you your virginity? And now all of these years later, everything that has gone wrong in your life, you've blamed yourself because of that situation. And if only you could rewind the clocks 
but you can't. You've been excluded, you've been marginalized, you've been sat down, you've been put down, you've been lied to, you've been cheated on, and it is lodged in your mind. It has shaped the choices that you've made over the past 10 and 20 years for some of you, all over your life. And years and years of your life are passing you by. Years and years and years are passing you by. And you cannot see that you are emotionally attached to what was behind you instead of writing a vision for your future and running towards it. Samson had a great call of God on his life. The call of God on your life, it's simply what God designed you for, the purpose he designed you. And maybe he didn't give you amazing hair. And maybe he didn't give you supernatural strength to go and slay the Philistines. But what if the purpose on your life was to raise the child that you're currently raising? What if that's your God-given purpose? What if the purpose on your life was to be in the office that you are in, to be surrounded by the people because God wants you to be an influence. He needs a mouthpiece upon the earth. He needs someone to speak into that place of work. And guess what? You are it. You are it. What if God put you on the planet just to marry the spouse that you are married to? Just because God wanted them reassuring and them reaffirming and you to bring out the best in them. What if that is your God-given purpose? But what happens is, what happened to Samson left a weakness within him. And now he feels that he has something to prove, particularly in the area of women. Because what God said about him, he didn't believe what God had said about him. And he was emotionally led by his past. Because anytime you're trying to live out your God-given calling, but still emotionally attached to your past and still trying to get even with your past, then your vision for your life is not clear. You see, here's the thing. The enemy knows he can't take your salvation. And neither can he take your purpose from you. But if he can take your vision, you will never fulfill your purpose. And so that's good enough for him because an immobilized Christian is as good as a non-Christian in, in his eyes. He, he can't take your salvation, but he can stop you from fulfilling your destiny and your purpose in life. If you do not have your sight, you very quickly become disorientated and you can't move forward with confidence. Anybody ever play pin the tail on the donkey as a child? Yeah, and they would blindfold you and then they'd turn you around and set you loose with a drawing pin in your hand. Or it was when I was a child, I think it's Velcro these days, but they'd set you loose with the drawing pin and you had to go and find the, the, the donkey to pin the tail on and you'd take the blindfold off and the tail would be in the donkey's forehead. That was on a good day because sometimes they spun you around so much you'd be sticking it on a wall that the donkey wasn't even on that wall. But so it is in your life. If I was to ask you all to cover your eyes now and close your eyes, you would be in complete darkness, but your body would still be functioning. Your body would still be functioning, but you wouldn't move forward with confidence. You'd be pretty much stuck. So it is in the Christian life. You can still be a Christian. You can still have your ticket into heaven, 
but to move forward with confidence in your God-given purpose. You need to have a vision for your life so that you can clearly see where it is you are going. And I felt as though God would prompt me when I was writing this message to say, for far too long, too many people have lived doing life in loops and circles, just going around, just going around, not able to move forward with the confidence because though I am saved, I don't feel like I have a plan, a purpose, and a vision for my life. You see, what has happened to you wants to take your focus away from what is in front of you. It would be a little bit like if you'd had a negative experience with a boss in work, and and that situation between you and your boss had not gone well at all. He'd been unfair to you. You moved to a new place of employment, but because of what has happened in your past, you now start speaking negatively and critically about your new employer because the chip on your shoulder feels like you've got something to prove because you are allowing what happened yesterday to affect the way you live today. Or for some of you, maybe you've been through a divorce and maybe that divorce was painful and that divorce was messy and that divorce has left you with some scars. But now you see all men the same way. And you are not backward at coming forward when you want to voice that to every young girl you see who's loved up and wanting to get married. You say, they're all the same. He will have a roving eye too. He will cheat on you eventually too. Why? Because you're emotionally attached to what happened to you yesterday and it is affecting the way that you see today. Some of you have been away from church for years. Years. Because of something someone said or something that happened that upset you. And, and the, the, the enemy, the great liar and deceiver, the one who wants to steal, kill, and destroy from your life has kept you out of fellowship for all this time because now what happened to you back then has become the yardstick by which you measure the integrity of all churches. So you chose not to go. Praise God you're here tonight. Because it is a lie, what's happened to you is trying to distract you from what is in front of you. Don't live today based on what happened yesterday. Samson never got over what happened with his first wife. He never got over it, constantly distracted him. It led to his downfall. It affected how he thought. It affected how he saw himself, saw himself and it affected him from living out his God-given purpose. And more than anything else, It exposed a weakness within him by which the enemy knew they could bring him down. It exposed a weakness within him and the enemy knew how to trap him. Because when the Philistines wanted to trap him, they knew he hadn't healed from his past. So they hired a woman to lure him in. Here enters Delilah. The Philistines knew. And the enemy knows where you've not healed. The enemy knows what you're still hung up on from your past. He knows you never got over that loss. 
He knows that you have got that divorce stuck on repeat in your mind. He knows that you are stuck thinking you're the only one who will never be employed. He knows you're stuck thinking I'm the only one who's never going to end up getting married. He, he, the enemy is relentless on devising traps to bring you down and bring you low. He knows exactly where to hit you, where it will affect you. He knows that if I can breathe rejection into her life just one more time, it will stop her dead in her tracks because that's what happened in her past. He knows that if I can make him angry, just make him so he goes pop, he's going to say something and do something that he is going to regret at some point. And so the enemy knows exactly where to, to target us, because if you haven't healed from your past, it is on repeat in your mind, and you will live trapped, reliving that moment over and over again in different scenarios in your life. You will marry another guy who will cheat on you also. You will let another employer speak to you in an abusive way. Also, you will be lied to and deceived over and over again because history that has not healed is on repeat in your life unless you get a vision and break the cycle. In chapter 16, verse 5, it says, The rulers of the Philistines went to her, being Delilah, and they said to her, Delilah, entice Samson to tell you what makes him so strong, how he can be overpowered and tied up securely. Then each of us will give you 1,100 pieces of silver. They were telling her, they were blackmailing her to bring Samson down. The story goes on that she tried to seduce Samson. He slept with her night after night, just going with the emotion of how he felt. She starts saying to him, Samson, tell me the secret of your strength. And he's toying around with her. He says, well, you have to tie me up with ropes and then I'll lose my strength. But So she tied him up with ropes and he still broke free. Samson, tell me the secret of your strength. Well, if you tie me up with the strings of a bow, then I lose my strength. So she tied him with the strings of a bro, but he still remained strong. Three nights this went on for. Listen, he knew this chick was trying to kill him. He knew this chick was taking him away and trying to undo his God-given purpose. But he was that caught up in the emotion of what he felt. He didn't really care. And then it says this, verse 15. Then Delilah pouted. You know the pout. I'm not talking about the Instagram duck face. I'm talking about that pout, girls, that I'm going to sulk until I get what I want. Delilah pouted. How can you tell me you love me when you don't share your secrets with me? <clears throat> she says, you've made fun of me three times and you still haven't told me what is strong. Samson has a moment here because let's just rewind two chapters Remember the tiff that he had with his first wife? Well, the Bible records what happened in that argument. Back in chapter 14, verse 16. So Samson's wife came to him in tears, his first wife, and said, you don't love me. You hate me. You've given my people a riddle and you haven't told me the answer. Hmm. Same scenario. And Samson must have thought, I lost a woman once before. Because it says he's actually began to fall for Delilah. He has feelings. He's emotionally attached. He says, I've lost a woman once before. I'm not going to lose out again. 
So he just gives her what he wants. But here's the thing. Samson never got a vision for his life. He didn't know who he was. He didn't know what he was about. And he never learned from his past. Because here's the thing. Samson should never have been fooling around with the Philistine women in the first place. He was a Nazarite set apart from birth. He worshipped a different God to the Philistines. His morals were different to the Philistines. His values were different to the Philistines. But he got himself all caught up. And he should have learned his lesson the first time. But he didn't because he did not have a clear vision in his mind of who I am, what I am here for, what is my belief system, what are my morals. Instead, he gets caught up with yet another Philistine woman, the same scenario from his past playing out in his present. In verse 16, it says, she kept at it day after day, Delilah this is now. She's nagging him and she's tormenting him. And finally, he was fed up Some translations say he was vexed to the point of death. He's fuming with her. He couldn't take another minute of it and he spilled it. He told her, a razor has never touched my head. I've been God's Nazarite from conception. If I were to shave, if I were shaved, then my strength would leave me and I would be as helpless as any other mortal. He was stressed. He was angry. She was pushing his buttons. You cannot make a decision when you are emotionally charged. But in that moment, he decided, oh, I stood up to my first wife and I lost her. I'm just going to go along with the emotion of this. I'm just going to give her what she wants. And he told Delilah everything. And the Bible says she lulled him into a sleep. He lay his head on her lap. She stroked his hair and he just enjoyed every moment of it. And when he was asleep, the Philistines come in and they cut off his hair. They shaved his head. And the very next thing they did is they gouged his eyes out. Because how it is on the inside of you will eventually show on the outside. No vision for your life on the inside. It will show on the outside. Samson lost his purpose. He lost his God-given calling. The woman took the money and walked right out of his life. And then he lost his sight. And I really think the reason that God told us to write the vision down, learn it, know it, memorize it, learn it, know it, memorize it, was because he knew the greatest battles that we would face would be here in our mind. They're not the battles out there. It's all in here. It's the way you perceive something. It is being easily emotionally led. But if you had a vision, what God says about you, if you had the vision before you, what God says about my marriage, what God says about my relationship, what God says about my finances, what God says about my kids, then you won't be easily led by what you feel. You can't marry someone just because you feel all loved up. There's way more to it than that. Do his morals line up with your morals? Does the vision for his life line up with the vision for your life? Is he about everything that you've sold your life out for? Because if he is not, stop. Be led by the vision in your mind and not by your emotions. You know, when feelings come to you, you don't have to go by what you feel. 
when you feel like you don't want to come to church, you just want to stay in bed and pull the duvet over your head because that's what you're feeling like right now. And then you give yourself a talking to and you say, but Emma, you're the pastor. You have to go to church because hello, we have real issues going on too. We have emotions, we have feelings, we have things that we have to navigate through. But I wrote a vision down for me and my family a long time ago. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. As for me and my house, you will find us in the house of God, week in and week out. And that's because the vision for my life is not a negotiable. It was clear from day one who I was and what I was about. So when I feel like doing the reverse, I choose not to go with what I feel because I know what my life is about. When you have a vision for your life, you're released from the past. When you have a vision for your life, it's not played over and over and over again. You can run forwards with the confidence you know, every one of my children, all three of my boys, they will tell you that they were taught a scripture, literally from birth. This scripture was impregnated in, into them. They will tell you. It is written in all of their first Bibles. They will tell you. It is the scripture that he spoke and gave to them on the day of their baptism. And it is Proverbs 3, 5. And it says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. 